All right. Welcome to the Michael Slate Show. That's right. We're back again. <laughs> Just wait until you see what happens now. All right. We're going to have all kinds of stuff going on. And as I said, this is the Michael Slate Show, and we've got a great show for you today. But first, this. Are you furious to see the sight of Imperial warplanes and missiles bombing schools, hospitals, and apartment buildings? Are you disgusted to see the sight of tanks rolling through villages and city streets? Are you heartsick at the sight of floods of refugees trying to escape the destruction and the carnage? Does it keep you up at night that a nuclear-armed state threatens the world with Armageddon? Do you want to see this Imperial military juggernaut stopped? Do you feel the responsibility to do more to support and stand with the people who are coming under attack this way? And did you think I was only talking about Russia's invasion of Ukraine? Because when it comes to all of that, military interventions, mass murder of civilians, the creation of millions of refugees, shock and awe death from above with missiles and planes, the USA stands as number one. 100 military interventions in Latin America, the war in Vietnam, Korea, Afghanistan, Iraq, the current ongoing slaughter of people in Yemen, backed, supported, and armed by the U.S. government. And it's the U.S. that is the only country that has ever used nuclear weapons on people. So if you really want to do something to stop an oppressive military superpower that destroys whole countries, here's the good news. Instead of lining up behind the U.S. and thinking it can do something good anywhere when all the evidence points against it, you can be part of making a revolution right here in the belly of the beast. Get with the Revcoms and Bob Avakian who are organizing people for an actual revolution to really do something good for not only Ukraine but for all the oppressed people of the world. Getting rid of this system of capitalism, imperialism, and ridding the world of the scourge of the kind of vicious conflicts it produces and requires. All right, that was Noche Diaz, national spokesperson for the Revolution Club, recently on TikTok, and we'll be hearing more on Ukraine later in the show. At the back end of the show, I'll be talking with filmmaker David Zeiger and his other filmmaker, Mobilaji, Mobilaji Olawambi Wanu. And uh, we'll be up, it's basically, it's going to be on the upcoming film that they're both working on. Who the hell is Johnny Otis? Okay, that's the, I think that's the basic thing. So, so stick around for that. And before that, we'll hear two short statements from the RNL, or Revolution Nothing Less show, with Andy Z and Raymond Lada on war in Ukraine. And right now, right now, folks, we're going to hear conversations with uh, Adrian Lawrence, Sansara Taylor, and Lori Sokol on the conversation from the Young Turks YouTube channel. Check this out. It's still Adrian, but this time I have some women who are exceptional when it comes to talking about things that largely advance women in our communities, particularly abortion rights. That's on Sarah Taylor, co-host of the RNL, that's Revolution, Nothing Less, and Lori Sokol, that's Executive Director of Women's E! News. Thank you so much for joining us, Sansara and Lori. It's a real pleasure to be with you, Adrian. Yes, very much so, I agree with that. Yes, and it's a pleasure to have you all here. The thing is, it's like we have the, a nice percentage of our population facing a number of issues when it comes to restrictions on our bodies. Essentially, what's the update here? If you want to go ahead and share first, Sansara, please do. Yeah, we're in the middle of an abortion rights emergency, which Texas, people should know, has been under a near total abortion ban for over six months. 
And the Supreme Court is currently considering a case that could overturn Roe v. Wade, the landmark 1973 decision that legalized abortion for women. And anticipating that this will happen, states across the country packed with fascist legislatures are like in a race to figure out who can do the most vicious, cruel abortion bans. Idaho just passed, introduced a law that would incentivize rapists and their families to sue to prevent a woman from terminating her pregnancy. Missouri passed a law that would ban or introduce a law that would ban abortions, even in the cases of ectopic pregnancies, which are never viable. It's when the egg implants outside the uterus and often lethal to a woman. And they added a ban that would restrict a woman from traveling to another state. So they're literally saying that a woman should die. And what we're facing is within a matter of a few short months, half the country could lose access to abortion. And the whole assault on women everywhere would accelerate. And I just wanna say that forcing women to have children against their will is a form of enslavement. This is what we're facing. And this is why Lori and I initiated riseupforabortionrights.org to bring people into the streets to say this must not happen. We cannot allow this to go down. No, we can't, not at all. And so I'm so grateful that both of you have come together to raise awareness, to make change. Lori, I'd love to hear your thoughts on essentially this whole new, it almost seems like a new era in terms of the attack on women and our bodies. Well. It, yeah, it may seem like a new era, but unfortunately, uh, the underpinnings of it have been building and increasing for many years. And I, I think they particularly culminated when Donald Trump became president because he allowed uh, this really insane brutality against women's reproductive rights to um, to build beyond. You know, since Roe v. Wade had you know, had become law in the early 70s we have never seen this assault on women's reproductive rights before before then but let me also say that this isn't about you know those who are anti choice it's not about saving the lives of babies not at all i mean let's let's be sure honest here if you were to look at the rates if you look at countries where abortion is legal and where abortion is illegal there's no significant difference between the number of abortions women have in these countries. It's just that 30,000 women on average die, more die in countries where it's illegal. Okay, that's from botched abortions, which is going to be happening here in the US as well. So you were talking about tens of thousands of women potentially dying from this. What they really are looking to do long term, and this is very important because when People listen, they think about abortion rights, they think only about how this impacts women. And since women are still you know, second class citizens in this patriarchal society, those who are not women or those who don't have daughters or sisters, or they feel they're not gonna be impacted by this, but they are. Because what Roe v. Wade also solidified was the right to privacy, which affects every single American. So. It may be abortion now, but then it's gonna be right to contraception. It's gonna be how to raise one's children. It's gonna be how to maintain family relationships. Who can live in your house with you? Brother, sister, aunts, uncles, parents, etc. It's also it's also gonna impact marriage equality, interracial marriage. And already we see in Texas the don't say gay bill, right? Not allowed to discuss, to teach anything about 
homosexuality or being or transgenderism. What if you have kids who have who have two mothers or two fathers? How are they supposed to think of themselves, right? If if it's against the law to even mention it or talk about. It. So this is just the beginning of what fascists are looking to do in this country, the Republicans who are against reproductive choice. It's going to affect every single American in one way or another. So if we don't stop it now, this is really our last chance. Yes, yes, and as you were talking about that, Lori, it was really resounding with me. All I was hearing in my ad were the Supreme Court decision, Griswold in Texas, Loving Virginia, so on and so forth. And the fact that these some of these things were passed some 50 years ago at the most, yet at the same time, they can be reversed in a moment's notice, especially given the very conservative court we have. And you're absolutely right, the thought that we could lose right to contraceptive, we could lose a right to privacy, Lawrence v. Texas, all of these things that have allowed us to live our lives and to, to allow people of regardless of what political party they're a part of just to operate, that could be rolled back. And so we are truly heading toward that handmaid's tale. And so Sansara, I would love to know, what do you think we need to do to stop this train now before it steamrolls every right that we have as individuals? Well, I wanna start by appreciating how you asked the question because it's the right question. It's how do we stop this train now before it steamrolls further, which is the opposite of what the so-called leaders or most of the so-called leaders of the so-called women's movement are doing. And I have to call this out to begin with because the heads of the mainstream organizations are telling us the best we can do is prepare for post Roe, prepare for Roe v. Wade default, help women learn how to induce their own abortions, help women to travel to states outside of their own as it gets banned where they are and to try to pass some local legislation in a few places to protect abortion after the legal right and protection falls nationwide. And what we have said, this is capitulating in advance. It will foreclose the lives of women and it will give uh, it'll give these fascists a chance to put their foot on the accelerator even more and gain even more ground. So we have to draw a line now. And what needs to happen, and the reason I'm wearing this green bandana, is because we need to learn a lesson from the women of Argentina, the women in Colombia, the women in Mexico, women who went into the streets and waged massive sustained protests again and again, where they changed the whole political atmosphere. And they tore down anti-abortion restrictions in those countries. They made what seemed impossible possible through their struggle. And so what we are calling for in riseupforabortionrights.org, and it's the number four, is we're calling on people to join us in the streets in protests that grow. And that not just a one day protest, but again and again, students walking out of school, professionals coming out in their white coats or their professional associations, people from different walks of life, people speaking in the arts and the sciences and wearing this green. On April 8th is a national day of wearing green across the country, it's a Friday. And then April 9th, we're calling people back into the streets. We just did protests on International Women's Day in a dozen cities. We want these to be even bigger with thousands and thousands of people to wake up and impact millions more. They don't even know this emergency is happening because the Democratic Party has been silent about it. Because the so-called leaders of the so-called women's movement are not sounding the alarm and calling people into the streets. So by being into the streets ourselves, we want to wake up many more people to then join us create such an outpouring from below, such a massive refusal 
to let this go down, that we change the atmosphere throughout society so that the Supreme Court has to recalculate based on the demand from below. The state legislatures have to recalculate based on what we are just saying in the streets with our bodies. That seems like a very, very powerful movement. The fact of this thought that we need to make noise and disrupt to make the movement. And I am definitely a fan of that. And it's so incredibly important. And the thing is, we've seen it operate and to do pretty well, right, Lori? We had women in Argentina and Colombia recently winning historic victories when it came to abortion rights and they took to the streets. What was the secret or what did they have that we may need? Well, I don't think it's a secret. Um, people in the US may think it's a secret. For some reason, we don't feel that it's as urgent to step out in the streets. And I have to tell you personally, as someone who's been writing about women's equality and, and rights for you know a couple of decades, I also did not take out go out into the street until this last month and a half. And I've been at, I've marched and I've spoken at three rallies thus far because I thought to myself, what kind of a feminist? Would I be if I did not step up now and really be truthful and honest, um, and and join you know my sisters and some brothers in walking and marching because this is really gravely serious. And if anyone wants to call themselves supportive of women, of their rights, feminists, um, you have to be out there in the streets. Yeah, you know. COVID is around the world, right? COVID was in Argentina, COVID was in um, Colombia, uh, COVID is in Mexico, but they it didn't stop them. Uh, we don't want to say it's too late and then we have to go backwards again, you know, go backwards and women are going to die. So women are going to die. So for every person who does not step out and step up and walk and march in the streets with us, blood is on their hands. For every woman who will die from botched abortions in this country. And that's incredibly sad. And I wish I felt more moved in the thought that Americans would care, but we see femicide every single day. And so I really do hope that there is something that wakes people up and makes them realize that the rights that they have can't be taken away. But you know, right now, with a lot of people focusing on the war going on over in Europe and Asia, it just it's one of those things where I'm I'm very, very afraid that people don't necessarily get it. But Sansara, I'd love to ask you in these last few seconds that we have available, for those people who do get it and those who want to learn more so that they do get it, where can they go to learn more about the organization you all founded? Called Rise Up for Abortion Rights.org. It's the number four. It's rise up number four abortion rights.org. And I just have to say that what we need is courage. What we need is hope, what we need is those who do understand the emergency to stand up because that itself is contagious. We are the majority, people support this right. It doesn't count unless you show it and get in the streets. But if you do, don't underestimate what we can accomplish. There are millions of lives at stake, all of them are gonna be touched. We need to mobilize them now. And I think there's every basis to do that, but it takes stepping in right now. So I wanna call on everybody to do that, rise up, Number four, abortionrights.org. And thank you so much, Adrian, for having us on. Thank you so much for joining us. And yes, those out there, viewers who do get it, please wake others up because they are not 
they're not woken up yet. And we need them to understand that everything is on the line right now. We could stop it now, but only if they get out there in the streets. Thank you so much for joining me. Sansara Taylor, co-host of the RNL Revolution Nothing Less and Lori Sokol, Executive Director of Women's Eat News. Thank you so much for joining us Thank and you. uplifting the, the message. Thank you. Thank you. All right, that was Sansara Taylor and Lori Sokol from Rise Up for Abortion Rights, speaking with Adrian Lawrence from The Conversation. You can watch the video on the Young Turks YouTube channel. Now, the war in Ukraine, the war in Ukraine should, should be, it should be outrageous to anybody with a sense of justice. But especially for people in the U.S., it should not mean supporting U.S. imperialism. Too many progressives are doing just that. Not only supporting U.S. imperialism, but demanding more aggression from these imperials. So let's hear from Andy Z from the RNL or Revolution Nothing Less show talking about American warmongers. We are being barraged by media fools, so enthralled to this system, so sated and satisfied by their scarfing up the spoils of this system that it wrings out of the exploited and oppressed people here and around the world that they have lost their goddamn minds and are falling all over each other to insanely beat the drum that the U.S. should wage direct war on Putin's Russia in Ukraine. This is not just the fascist Fox News who have developed a bad case of amnesia about how they and their fascist Trump just a week or two ago were lauding Putin, but they are now playing the tough USA, USA guy. But then here's the oh-so-liberal Joy Reid from MSNBC News. My father was, he's passed away now, but he was from the Congo. The United States, when they decided that Patrice Lumumba wasn't good enough to be the George Washington of the Congo, made sure he was quite gone. You look at Iran, when we decided we didn't like Mossadegh, that was the end of him. The United States decided we didn't want Saddam Hussein, that was the end of him. I think for Americans to look helplessly while we watch these people slaughtered, it, it, it feels like we shouldn't be helpless. Um, you as somebody who was the head of an agency that has incredible power, incredible reach into the entire world, isn't there something we can do? Because when we wanted to do it, and when there were people we thought were, were, were not fit to run a country, we did it. Here's NBC's Chuck Todd pushing Biden's Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, on why not a no-fly zone? I want to talk about the no-fly zone. Let me quote President Zelensky on Telegram on mm. Friday. He, uh, he uh, essentially sent this out on social media. All the people who will die starting this day will also die because of you. He's addressing the West. Because of your weakness, because of your disunity. Today, the alliance's leadership gave the green light for further bombing of Ukrainian cities by refusing to make a no-fly zone. I understand it's an emotional statement, right? And I understand you've had different conversations there. Uh, why rule out the no-fly zone? Why not make Putin think it's possible? And just in case you think we at the RNL show have a thing against NBC, here's the whole White House press corps pressing, pressing, pressing the White House to directly, militarily confront Putin. President Zelensky is going to be speaking to Congress tomorrow. He's been pushing for fighter jets, a no-fly zone. You have to hear some of those same requests tomorrow as well. Has the administration shift, thinking shifted on that at all? Millions, though, calling for a no-fly zone. They're a NATO 
member. They share a border with Russia. How do we view their calls for a no-fly zone? Would a, a strike in Poland on supplies or, or anything, really, uh, automatically be met with a military, a forceful response? The president showing enough strength against the Why does the U.S. believe they know better what the needs? Put it bluntly, is Zelensky wasting his time tomorrow? asking for these things. If Putin were to use chemical weapons, would it change the president's thinking when it comes to these things? These hyenas of the press corps are dangerously, unrelentingly brainwashing you, the people of this country, and building pressure on the government for a war between the ruthless imperialists on both sides, Russia and the U.S. NATO bloc, that no one with a shred of humanity should support. On our website, revcom.us this week, it sharply puts the stakes of this. Quote, Even as the Russian invasion of Ukraine is utterly unjustified and reactionary and should be politically opposed, the Ukrainian President Zelensky's drumbeat of calls for the U.S. NATO to attempt to institute a no-fly zone over Ukraine is extremely reckless and frankly unconscionable. If this were done, the U.S. would be obligated to shoot down any Russian plane entering this zone, and such a shootdown would constitute an act of war, one with unpredictable consequences. Think about it for just one minute. Such direct warfare between U.S., NATO, and Russia could rapidly develop into World War III, leading to destruction and death on a scale far, far beyond what is happening now, including very possibly the use of nuclear weapons, which in turn could lead to the extinction of humanity as a whole. How would the Ukrainian people or anyone else possibly benefit from that? With this in mind, extremely reckless and unconscionable is the least that can be said about this, end quote. These are dangerous times, perhaps the most dangerous. Just in the last week to 10 days, this is a stark reality of the future that confronts us. First, the bloody war in Ukraine threatens wider war, even nuclear war. Even in a nuclear war where only one nuclear weapon is dropped, 34 million people would die instantly, facing that instant death with the after effects potentially destroying all life on Earth. And it's likely this would be even a greater catastrophe. The acceleration of climate catastrophe with over 3 billion directly in the crosshairs, facing deadly drought, catastrophic storms, floods, food shortages, with again, the potential for human extinction. The imminence of women in this country losing the legal right to determine their own lives through the likely ripping away of their right to abortion by the Supreme Court sometime this spring. This is nothing less than a way of enslaving women to the dictates of an oppressive male supremacist patriarchal system, turning her into a criminal with penalties for choosing when or when not to have a child. Each of these horrific futures, which really are a future that is no future at all, are the result of the workings of the system we live under a system that prevails everywhere in the world today, capitalism, imperialism, a system whose time must be up, a system that must be overthrown, or our time, humanity's time, could be up. 
I say this not for drama, but because it is objectively possible. These are the stakes. All right, that was Andy Z on the Revolution Nothing Less show. And uh, new episodes of the show come every Thursday on the YouTube channel, The RevComs. We've got one last piece from Raymond Lada. Russia has oligarchs, but America has... Let's give it a listen. Have you noticed how Russia has oligarchs, but America has entrepreneurs? Have you noticed how Russia has bosses, but America has CEOs? Have you noticed how Russia's rich hide away their yachts and villas, but in America, you have lifestyles of the rich and famous. Have you noticed how Russia is an evil petrostate, but America's position as the number one producer of oil and natural gas in the world is energy independence. And did you notice this? In January, 2022, Apple became the world's first $3 trillion company. But there would be no Apple without its supply chains of horrific sweatshops in China and other countries. There would be no Apple without the 40,000 child miners in the Congo digging tunnels and hauling rocks to extract cobalt that helps power cell phones, computers, and much more. You see, in America, we have high-tech companies and venture capitalists, but heaven forbid, no oligarchs here. Keep alive. All right, that was Raymond Lada, and we're going to take a quick musical break and be right back with the rest of the show, so stay tuned. You don't want to miss any of this. again, that was a musical break after talking with Raymond Lada. That was the musical break between his show, what was going on, and what we're going to have right now, all right? Now I want to introduce my guest. That's right. I'm getting, I'm learning how to talk again, okay? 
Now I want to introduce my guest, and he's sitting over here. There's a couple of them, but I, I see this one sitting over here, and he seems to be eating or scouching around for something. I don't know what the <laughs> hell he's doing. His name is Dave Zeiger. He's a filmmaker, a filmmaker of many documentaries, and he's also someone who's brought in another person who I, uh, <laughs> who I have really followed his work and really in, in, enjoyed seeing him, talking with him, and his name is Mobilaji and I, I got to get this right. Mobilaji Olambi Wanunu. Is that right? Mobilaji? Sorry, I'm losing my mind here. Mobilaji? Mobilaji, you here? Yeah, I'm here. Mobilaji Olambi Wanunu. Okay, we need, to, we need to get somebody in here to get some, because we can't hear you. I, I can hear oh. I can hear Mobilaji. Oh, okay. All right, well. All right. Anyway, Dave says he can hear you, so we're going we're gonna to just basically jump in with this, all right? Uh, you know, I, I, I wanted to make sure that people know who we're talking with, so I want to introduce you. It's Dave Zeiger, who's a filmmaker of many documentaries, and Mojalabi Mobilaji, um, who is the director of the powerful 2021 film Ferguson Rises, which tells the story of the aftermath of the police killing of Michael Brown. Uh, yeah, we're here, Mobilaji and I are here to talk about uh, our new film that we're making together, uh, which is um, Who the Hell is Johnny Otis? And the reason the title is Who the Hell is Johnny Otis is because the film is about Johnny Otis, who was one of the great innovators of rhythm and blues music, in, particularly in California, but in the country as a whole, and uh, not just in rhythm and blues, but also early rock and roll. But he has pretty much faded into obscurity. Most people don't know who he is and what role he played, which was a very powerful role, not only in terms of music, but in terms of the fight against white supremacy, particularly during the 1960s in this country. And that's what the film is, is, is revealing about Johnny. Um, and we've got, uh, I, I, we have a, a, a sample, you know, piece that we've produced that, that I think if we, that speaks a whole lot better than I do about, <laughs> about On today's about show, Johnny. it's speaking a whole lot better than all of us. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, do you want to uh, cut in here? What I'd like to do is I, I want to play I some get, clips let me, let from get the a show. Bit, let me get just a, a little bit of, Mobilaji, I haven't seen you or talked to you in a long time. How are you, man? I'm, I'm good. Um, great to hear your voice. Um, yeah. Glad to be on the show. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. Um, I appreciate your having us. And, and, I, and you know, and I, 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 David, I think, uh, uh, said this, you know, jumped us off correctly, I think, in that um, we, um, <clears throat> Johnny Otis is, is someone that I didn't know about um, until, uh, until David introduced me to Johnny Otis. And so I think this is really important, a really important part of our history that we've forgotten, um, or a lot of us have forgotten, and particularly for those of us who were not alive in that era, um, you know, we didn't know about. And, you know, has really been hidden from us because I think it really speaks to, um, to the work that, um, that Johnny Otis, who is a, a, a white ally who worked in solidarity with, um, with black folks in the freedom fight, uh, in that era, in, in the 50s, 60s, um, and beyond, and I think it's, it's something that we really never really, you know, we never hear about. We don't, we don't hear about some of those early folks who really um, 
who really took a fall and, and took the hit to really be uh, to stand on the right side of history. And uh, and Johnny Otis did that. And I think it's important in, in particular now as it relates to my work with Ferguson. Um, you know, there are plenty of uh, folks who stood on the front lines of Ferguson who were not African-American um, who took the hit um, as well. And I think so. Johnny Otis speaks to not only the past, but also to the present and to the future in terms of the work that we need to do as um, as a people in general, as people of all ethnicities, to work towards liberation, freedom, um, you know, civil rights and human rights. Um, so that's uh, that's my feeling about Johnny Otis. And, and the need for this project is, is, is really important at this particular juncture in history because we're seeing uh, a, a resurgence of a lot of the uh, white supremacist ideology in a way that we've never seen before. It was always there, um, but we're seeing it really um, come to the surface in, in really um, egregious ways that, um, that, really, um, that really attack, attack the freedoms that we've, many of us have fought for. We're not certainly as free as we would like to be in this country, but, but I think um, these folks are even rolling it back even more, you know, and so this is a great opportunity to really speak to that. And we, you know, and we want to really just encourage folks to find out more about Johnny Otis and, and, and support us. And if they want to find out more about Johnny Otis, to, to email, it, uh, email us at uh, johnnyotisfilm at gmail.com because um, we're looking for, you know, we're really looking to support this movement. We're looking to support this film and really, um, and really raise the funds and make the partnerships with individuals who find this information valuable uh, to move forward and, and create a successful film. Mm -hmm. Dave, you have something you want to say about that? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that I, I, Mobilaji really put it all put it all together. Th there's a particular thing that I think is important about like this is a film about the past on a certain level uh, because it's about Johnny, who was a, a band leader and songwriter and producer in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. And particularly had his strongest impact in the 50, impact in the 50s and 60s. Um, but the thing is that in today's world, where, where the whole the, the the issue of white supremacy and the issue of how is it going to be attacked and how is it going to be eliminated, and who who has to be part of that, is such a crucial uh, you know issue right now that stories like Johnny's from the past can have a big impact on on how how these things are approached today. This was true with my film. Uh, sir, no, sir, about the GI movement during the 1960s, during the Vietnam War, that had a big impact during the Iraq War when 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 the film was produced, and and, and we, you know, we we're hoping that that that's that can be the kind of the kind of uh, impact that that this story has, along with the fact that there's is just a lot of great music too. I mean, Johnny, yeah. uh, Johnny was responsible for and produced some of the best music of the of the the early rhythm and blues and rock and roll era. Um, ironically, uh, in the 1960s, when when rock and roll took off uh, in a big way, he was somewhat left behind, and as as a lot of what he had done in the 1950s was redone by white musicians like uh, the Rolling Stones, etc., and and became very popular in that way. And um, but it's still. The, the, the roots of this and the basis for it are extremely important. And also Johnny, you know, was, you know, again, as Mobilize just said, as a white person, 
he and this is a this is probably going to be controversial in this film, but we really want to take this on because Johnny was someone who grew up in the black community and was essentially his entire world was the, the world of the black community and and he not only was part of it but he he promoted it and he uh, uh, he referred to it in ways that not too many people do black or white. Um, so can we, I, I'd actually like to, to play that second clip, not the first one, but the second clip where, um, that's talking about um, the, the Watts community. Uh, Johnny lived in the Watts community and, and um, had his first club there. Um, and he, he wrote a book uh, called uh, Listen to the Lambs right after the, the 1965 rebellion and uh, the Watts riots. And it's a pretty startling book, and it had a big impact when it came out. Um, and so this first clip is from, from what he wrote in that book, and uh, it's being uh, read by Kurt Baltz, the actor Kurt Baltz. It's not Johnny actually talking in this, but you got that one, the one that, that, uh, that starts at 425? Johnny's history in black Los Angeles um, started on Central Avenue, but in many ways, the farther south you went, the more meaningful it was to him. I thought it would be nice if I could open a club in Los Angeles that would feature that kind of revolutionary new sound that we felt coming and we were part of helping develop. Uh, the Barrel House Club that he set up on 107th. He lived in Watts. Uh, his, many of his best friends were from Watts. And he felt in some ways that this was the part of black LA that was most like the South, that was most like Africa, that was most loving and uh, uh, culturally distinct. Watts is shot through with visual evidence of its plight, and even when its blemishes and the squalor cannot be readily picked up by the eye, they can be felt. You can almost cut with a knife the rage that this imposed ugliness generates. In the more densely populated and consequentially shabbier neighborhoods, this grim and unlovely emotion pervades the atmosphere, like a noxious gas. But on the other hand, in Watts, as in any other spot on Earth where the human spirit refuses to yield, there is deep and startling beauty. In the heart of Watts, one can feel the surging glory of the African spirit. The Afro-American character, uniquely fashioned under duress, battered and bruised, often diluted and diverted by some sociological miracle, survives. It survives in spite of centuries of genocidal onslaughts and white supremacist propaganda. It is surviving and is, in fact, triumphing in the splendor of gospel music, in the creative soulfulness of rhythm and blues and jazz, in the brilliant bright eyes of a black child who dares to hope even though he is surrounded by an immediate sea of hopelessness in the ebony chiseled dignity of an old man who sits amid the rubble of a burnout building on 103rd Street, cleaning 100 bricks a day for a penny apiece. 
And it's important because Johnny saw over a 10-year period things getting worse and worse in Watts. And many of the things that he did politically, many of the things he wrote in his newspaper, were predicting that there would be some kind of upheaval. Yeah. Go ahead. That was, that was okay. pretty damn good. <laughs> that last part, as I, as I said, that was Kirk Baltz, and he was reading from Johnny's book, uh, Listen to the Lambs. Johnny was a, a high school dropout. He, he actually, um, his story starts when... A high school, a counselor at Berkeley High, where he was, uh, called him into his office and said, uh, you know, basically he said, look, you're white. You shouldn't be hanging out with all these black kids. And Johnny turned around, walked out of that office and left the school and never turned back and devoted his entire life to uh, the music and the culture and the life of, of the black community. And I think that was beautifully expressed in, in, his, uh, in his description of Watts in, in that book. You know, the other thing just related to that, too, though, is that there is this point about, you know, <laughs> he had a he had a, there was a way when he did things like that and he challenged things like that and wasn't going to sit back and say, OK, well, maybe I'll just wait and see if I can work it out or, you know, I can get it here, go there and here, go, go, go between the, the little crevices that are in mm -hmm. there and stuff. And and I'll make my way through. But it's actually it's there's really something else that came out of this when you think about who this who this person was, who he was and 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 what difference did it doesn't make that somebody like him and his friends his black friends that the school warned him to steer clear of you know bringing that bringing the whole situation to the world bringing what they were doing what they felt like what they saw what they thought what they wanted in the world you know to bring that to bring that kind of stuff and you, you know it's hard to find that even today it's hard to find that kind of that kind of challenge that people are facing with and they're and they're finding ways to actually step up against this and i thought that was one of the run a very moving thing about about this where he had the, the you know where he and what the, you know where basically you know the, the whole question of what did him and his cohorts his black friends and the school when they warned him to steer clear of each of each other what did they bring to the world instead you know very yeah, important yeah. i think and especially in that time you think about that time <laughs> what the hell was going on i mean think about what, what was going on here about you know yeah if you were black you did not want to be out in the street and maybe not even in your own house because they were going to come and get you right yeah, yeah, no, and I think that that point about what did they bring into the world is really good. Oh, Mobilaji, you got some thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, um, it's just an extremely um, moving and inspiring story about someone who had the courage to really um, to really stand up for their convictions and uh, and express themselves creatively on so many levels. Um, you know, besides Johnny being a musician. Um, he was a painter, a sculptor, a cartoonist, um, uh, a, a writer, um, so many different things. Um, I mean, just an inspiration to anybody who's, who's interested in expressing themselves and, and figuring out exactly how to do so in a world that, that may not accept um, all the ways in which you want to express yourself. Um, so I think um, we, have, um, we have a longer uh, teaser um, available for folks who want to watch. Um, if you uh, again, if you email us um, at johnnyotisfilm uh, at gmail dot com, we'll send you the uh, the longer teaser um, and and more information about the film. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Johnny really, um, I, I, you know, I, just in in learning and, and in working with David on this, um, I'm just as an artist, just thoroughly inspired by by his conviction. 
and his commitment to really seeing um, seeing his conviction through no matter what. Um, and, 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 you know, and his, his courage and commitment to, to live in the black community at, at a time um, when, you know, when integration was not really prevalent, right? Um, we didn't have, a, you know, a whole lot of um, white community members in, in Watts, I'm sure at that time, I, I would guarantee, I don't know the exact number, um, but for him to choose to make that decision, for him to choose to be there and, and, and to not only be there um, in a sort of itinerant kind of way, but to be there as uh, as an active and committed resident of the Watts, a resident of the Watts community, is really uh, is really inspiring to watch. And then and then what he did while he was there, the stuff that he created, the individuals that he um, that he discovered and helped, um, whose careers that he helped to facilitate. Um, I think all of that is just um, just speaks to the magic of who this person is. And to the uh, to the magic of really working in solidarity with the black community, um, I think um, he also in that little clip he also highlights sort of the the beauty of the uh, of the black community that I think is often forgotten even by many of us who are members of the community. Um, being both um, an outsider and kind of an insider, Johnny sort of brought this. Um, this unique perspective and, and you could you could hear that again in his in, in the writing um where he he really saw the beauty of the black community um and again in a way that i think many of us forget who, that are inside the community uh, you know and i think that's also inspiring to see and hear uh, and to understand the beauty of our community you know in a way that um that perhaps we may not always um always see in the midst of all the chaos and all the violence and all the um the, you know, the white supremacy, really. Yeah, you know, one of the things I was thinking, even as you were talking about that, this whole point about, um, you know, how he's been called the godfather of rhythm and blues, but he didn't care too much for that. But he settled in Watts, and it became a very important place in his life, you know? Yeah. Which was, and I, to me, you know, it's sort of like, you, and it's, it was interesting just reading the, what, you know, the, the, the stuff I found to read, this, you know, the stuff that actually you dig around a little bit more. And you see the kind of the deep, the deep, you know, basically the deep, deep honesty in terms of who he was and who he wasn't and yeah. where that put him. You yeah. Know? And, and he was he would he would not hold back on, on, on that at all. Um, he he uh, just along the lines of what Mobilage is saying, th this film is going to be a joyous celebration of someone you know who is inspiring on many different levels when you see his artwork i'm i'm i'm, I'm by the way the clip that, that that we played in the in the longer teaser we has has a lot of his artwork which is just absolutely gorgeous um uh, paintings of the black community of, of a lot of focus on black musicians on on the uh uh, the growth of, of, of rhythm and blues music and all of that. It's just, it's really, really remarkable and very inspiring. And um, because he took the stand that he took, he it had a big impact. I mean, he could have had a much bigger musical career. That's part of the story. Uh, he could have been a much bigger force in, in the world of music. Um, but he, for him, the issue was taking a stand and speaking, you know, the reality of life for the black community. And in particular in the sixties, um, that became very much part of the, the, of being part of the struggle. And, and let's, can we play the, the, the next, um, 
clip, which is what, what Johnny wrote. After talking about the black community, then, then, then there was the rebellion that happened. And I think w w what he wrote about the rebellion is very revealing in terms of not just him, but just the reality of what was happening. So let's... That's it. <laughs> Six days of rioting in a Negro section of Los Angeles left behind scenes reminiscent of war-torn cities. There was no pre-planning, no preparatory meetings conducted with parliamentary decorum, no executive board decisions, no pious prayer to kick it off, just bam, and away we go. This one was different. This one came from the victims, from the victims in person. This one was where it was really at. No picket captains, in fact, no pickets. What the hell for? No singing of we shall overcome. This was way beyond that. This was indeed something else. This is a social revolution. The old ground rules no longer apply. Black people have developed a common will of purpose. In short, the common will of the people says that the time has come for an end to the American color caste system. And the hell with the consequences. I can't read the American white establishment's mind, therefore I don't know if they really see the handwriting on the wall. But I do know that if the black man is not cut completely free of his misery, he will continue to rock the boat and rock the boat and rock the boat. And I don't mean nonviolent organized demonstrations led by pompous, sanctimonious preachers and self-declared leaders. Now, it's hard to have you cut that song right there. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> but by the way, all of the music in, in this piece is, is all by Johnny. And, and uh, um, uh, the film is going to be uh, uh, full of Johnny's music. And one of the things that's going to happen in this film, and this is part of bringing Johnny uh, to the present and bringing not only his stand against white supremacy, but uh, his role in the music world to the present is we we're going to be, we be having... Uh, uh, current artists uh, do covers of his songs, some of which are very well known. Uh, Every Beat of My Heart, which was uh, Gladys Knight and the Pips hit. I still and, sing that alone at night. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you want to make sure it's still beating. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, we're, and, and, and that's going to be running through the, through the film uh, as well. And um, to reiterate something that Mobilaji has brought up, we this you know uh, as as we can talk about this forever. It's very difficult to fund a documentary film, um, and it's becoming even though documentary films are becoming more and more popular and more and more uh, something that you're seeing on on streaming services and and in theaters even. Um, the funding world has become much more difficult. It's in, it's more international. It's there's there's I mean there's one there's great things happening, but it it it, it makes the, the um, it makes the, the the ground difficult. So one of the key ways that a film like this 
can get made is through the support of uh, the audience. And even though we only, at this point, we have a sample, we can uh, send you a link to that sample. I think it'll give you a really good sense of what the film's going to be. And you can show it to your friends. You can watch it yourself. Um, and you can join in our effort to get the film made. We will have a, uh, we're going to have a, Go- a GoFundMe campaign going for the film uh, to uh, bring in as much support as possible. And I, and, and I would urge you to, if you're interested at all, uh, just throw us an email real quickly at johnnyotisfilm at gmail.com. Uh, we're just getting some of this off the ground now, but we will get back to you. We'll send you the, the link to the to the sample, and uh, and you can become part of what's going to be really a, a tremendous, a, a very fun and very compelling and 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 uh, prescient film. I mean, what Johnny was talking about in 1965 is exactly the situation today and it's and and he speaks to you know it, it, it's it's it, he he speaks to something very deep and very profound that has yet to be dealt with you know it, it's well, yeah i think it's really important and I, I do think and we have a little bit of time left but i i want to actually say say something around this too because as we're talking and i really i would like you guys to come back um very soon and really talk about this in a way that you know sort of gets it fleshed out a little bit more because it's as you're talking about this I'm thinking well wait a minute even the stuff you just said people need to know that when you're talking about that and the ex- and what existed in this country at that time you know if you were black you could be dead just like w- opening your eyes up when you woke up at night mm-hmm. you know it didn't matter and when you th- when you see somebody like like when you see somebody like Johnny Otis getting up and, and doing this you know and, and 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 it's not and he wasn't doing it like for sort of a, 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 a way to, to, to sort of like show how cool he was. It was something that he really believed. And he really, he really wanted people to know that this is where he stood and they should be standing there at the same, in the same way. And today, that's even more of a, of, a, of a point that people have to dig into. And people have, have to know there is some, a lot, lot of truth to which side are you on. And damn it, it matters. It matters which side you're on, you know. And that's a, that's a very heavy thing. When you look at this, when you look at that, and especially when Johnny Otis is the person who came from where he came from, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, come on now, you can't, you, you, you described him on the way in, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he wasn't, he wasn't like the, he, did, he wasn't like a gangster dude, he wasn't a dude who just had all this other stuff, but he was some, he was somebody who loved the people, and he refused to stand against people who were being just killed, brutalized, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep, and in addition to that, I, I would say what's what's also beautiful about this film is that um, as a team, we're all, our team reflects the world that Johnny imagined and that Johnny uh, created himself. Right, so we have um, we have a, a mixed team of you know of of people of different ethnicities. You know, David Zeiger, you know, of European ancestry, me of African ancestry, um, our cinematographer of African ancestry. Uh, our um, our editor of European Ans- it was it's a, there's a very mixed team um, that's committed to the same the same thing the same values that that Johnny was committed to so um, and we're and we're also a team that's actually you know got experience making films um, and you know David's got um, several several films under his belt I've got um, one film under my belt that's doing really well. Um, so we, you know, we're really approaching this in a way that also is very reflective of the values and the commitments that Johnny Otis had 
so beyond just the the external um, or the film itself, the um, the the community and the team behind it is very much reflective of the politics and the attitude that Johnny that Johnny had as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very important, and especially in today's world, you know, it, it, it it's it's uh, it's very important. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, and it's actually, and we're looking at this now, and I have to say. I, I hate this, to, to hang up on all this <laughs> because there's so much more to talk about, you know. And so maybe we could have you guys come back again real soon and talk about it some more. Okay. I think yeah, it'd be really, absolutely. It'd be really good. We, we, we can talk a lot, can't we, Mom? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say it one last time, though, um, the folks, if you're, if you're interested in the history of Johnny Otis and you want to see the full teaser um, for, the, for the film, email us at johnnyotisfilm at gmail.com. Um, we thank you, Michael, for, for having us on the show, for really speaking to this, you know, revolutionary, uh, music revolutionary, Johnny Otis, this artist, for allowing us the opportunity to, to speak about his life and to, um, and to begin to do the work to really honor his legacy and by doing so sort of create a new future for all of us to live into where we can work in solidarity with one another and we can stand up for, for freedom and, and, and for justice and we can continue to do that. Um, I know that's always been your commitment, Michael, and I acknowledge you for, for that long history and that work, as I've always known you to do, um, and we want to continue in that tradition again. So just email us at johnnyotisfilm at gmail.com, get the teaser, get more information, um, and you know, help support this, this wonderful project um, that I think will make a difference in all of our lives and will be a joy to just watch. Absol- absolutely. Yeah. I know. It made a tremendous difference in my life just reading through the stuff, preparing for this. Dave, you were going to say something? Nope. Talk to you again next week. So